Hello. You want to open it? No. Oh, I could open it. Do you want me to open it? Um, so you just say, hey, hi, and welcome back to the Happy Project Podcast. Give it a pause because then the music will come in and then you come in whenever you want. Okay. This is how the Korea we knew in the U.S. is different from the Korea we know today. Okay. I'm so nervous. Hi, and welcome back to the Happy Project Podcast. My name is Cedric, also known as Sky Seti, and sitting across from me is the lovely co-host... Becky! Becky. Oh, you know what? <laughs> I thought you were going to add something. That's true. You're the one that always says my name when you're opening up. Yeah. And so I was, I'm so That's used okay. to the way we open up our other videos. I always lo- give you the yeah, space you to, let me talk. to say your name. Yeah. But we are here today. Super excited about today's topic because we're going to be talking about our past in terms of how we grew up in the U.S. and the Korea that we knew, specifically from our moms and our mother's communities, versus the Korea that exists today. We're going to talk about some of the differences mainly, but maybe even some of the similarities. And we think this will be very interesting because I think for, I don't know for you, but for me, like when I first moved to Korea, I definitely had a bit of a culture shock. Hmm. And not a rude awakening, but I realized that living in Korea was totally different than what I had expected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. We're going to explain a little bit about why that is as well, because I think a lot of people, when they think Korea, they have a number of uh, images that come to mind. But depending on which generation you're talking to, the Korea that you are thinking of may or may not still exist today because modern Korea has changed so much in a short period of time that there are some things that it's just, it's just not what is done in Korea anymore, you know? Right. I think that like, especially if we talk to, let's say like younger listeners who might be in their teens or even their 20s, maybe they think of Korea as like K-pop factory you know, BTS right. is from here. It's so shiny and poppy and and uh, great dramas with beautiful people with beautiful skin, right? Like, so this, this is some common, I guess, concepts people have of what Korea must look like today. But just go back 10 years prior to that and ask people who are in their 30s, in their 40s. They're going to say a very different type of Korea that they grew up either knowing if they were here in Korea or the Korea that they learned from their parents in the States or elsewhere. Because the mindset that their parents took is still in that year when they left Korea, Mm -hmm. right? And we'll talk specifically from our own experiences of our own moms and uh, the kind of Korea that, you know, we thought Korea was until we actually came here and experienced it for ourselves. Yeah. I think it's interesting because, yes, we always say when our moms immigrated over to the United States, they took that sort of that era of Korea with them. Mm -hmm. But the way I like to look at it is once they landed and pretty much established themselves in the United States, that version of Korea sort of evolves as well, Mm -hmm. right? So their old version of Korea evolves in the United States as well as they develop their own Korean communities Mm -hmm. and as they watch Korea develop from afar, because mm. there is that element of watching TV, maybe a little bit less when I was growing up. Yeah. It was more like you were very limited in what you were exposed to. But yeah. like now with satellite and the internet, you're able to see in real time just 
entertainment and, uh, you know, just the trends that's happening in Korea. So I feel like Korea in the States is a lot better with adapting to what's going on now versus when our parents first came mm. over. It was mm -hmm. more of a, I don't know, like a divergence of evolving, right? Yeah, but, you know, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is how how these trends or changes are kind of broadcasted from Korea into the U.S. And mm -hmm. we're talking specifically about the U.S. because this is what we're, we, the environment that we grew up in. But I'm thinking about, like, in the case of, um, yeah, what exactly is broadcasted? Because even though I'm growing up with what my mom, the info that she's getting, I'm thinking about some of my friends in university, the things that they knew as modern Korea was very vastly different than the things that my mom was telling me. Like, right. you know, my mom would be telling me, look out, there was some disaster that happened in Seoul is very dangerous city <laughs> right my mom is getting this information mm -hmm. well I'm talking to my friend who's showing me the latest you know Korean rap videos that are dropping and she's like this is such a great new song he's such a cool rapper like you know it's just two very different Koreas yeah. still in what is being broadcasted because it's the information that they're consuming that's true my mom is still she mentioned to me the other day and I told you mm -hmm. right like <laughs> well two things uh -huh. right she said one I was talking to her on the phone and I was walking home from the gym and she knew that I was, you know, in transit and she sort of had a, like at the end of the conversation, she was like, Oh, I got to let you go. Like she was saying this in Korean, I got to let you go. Uh, but since you're walking, like watch out because there might be a hole that you could fall into it and die. <laughs> and then she followed up with, yeah, I, I saw it on the news. Yes, I know. You know, so <laughs> I'm just like, look out, there's a hole you could fall in. I love how she doesn't say like, you might stumble and fall in the hole mm -hmm. or you might hurt yourself. She said, you're going to fall in the hole and you the will die. Worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah, that's my mom. But also she had mentioned, I think in the next conversation we had uh, something along the lines of her, her fear because we are so closely located to North Korea. Yeah. And so she even in her mind still has that fear of what if a, an all out war breaks mm -hmm. out or like, you know, they nuke us or something mm -hmm. like that. So yeah, <laughs> it's totally different from, I guess, especially like a lot of the younger generations, yes. how they're consuming their information. Yeah. It's totally different waves that are coming over. <laughs> and so uh, your mom is, I have to admit that your mom's a little bit on the extreme side. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I'll admit, no, she's crazy. But it is funny because we grow up, where we're here in Seoul now and through all my years here, I've never felt unsafe. For mm -hmm. example, I've never had an experience where I really felt like, oh my gosh, this is out of control or I am in actual physical danger. Yet my mom, it seems every single phone call I'm having with her, she's telling me, look out for this. Don't go to this part of the city. Don't go out at this time at night. When I'm really like, mom, no, really, I'm it's fine. Like, it's okay. But the thing is, maybe that's just the news that she's getting or that's what she remembers. Mm -hmm. Like, look out for those kind of things. Yeah. But it's just a little bit different. Um, to give a perfect example, since we're mentioning about like danger zones, Itaewon. Did your mom ever talk to you about Itaewon? Not, not that I remember. Mm, no. Okay. Itaewon for me is a very specific example of uh, my mom, her view of Itaewon and then what I know as Itaewon. So for our listeners who haven't been to Korea yet, Itaewon is kind of a neighborhood in the city of Seoul, which historically was where, uh, well, it's right nearby one of the military bases, the biggest military base, Yongsan. And it's also kind of, it was kind of the party zone where a lot of American soldiers would come out and party. So it has a very interesting mix of old Korea style, and uh, old American style, kind of in the clubs. And it, it mm -hmm. has gentrified quite a lot and become 
like a hot new popular spot. But before this is like where Hooker Hill was. And this is where like a lot of soldiers would come out and cause trouble. So I guess back in my mom's day, you avoided Itaewon area or it kind of had a reputation. And today, you know, for me, Itaewon was like the party spot. You hang out in Itaewon until four in the morning just with all your friends and you don't right. feel, you know, at, in danger. Yeah. And that's where all the food is. Obviously, a lot of like expats and mm-hmm. foreigners are there hanging out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've never felt uneasy. I felt a little uncomfortable because I felt like some of the like buildings and stuff was a little outdated. Yes. But other than that, like I never really felt uncomfortable. Even now when you go into like the alleyways, mm-hmm. you there are still so many clubs and so many establishments that don't feel seedy, right? But I distinctly remember growing up and even pretty too recent times, my mom would always mention specifically Itaewon. Avoid Itaewon. Itaewon is a dangerous place. It's like, oh, mom, I'm hanging out in Itaewon with my friends all the time. Like, no, make sure you leave there early. You know, it's not safe. Don't talk to, I think she's trying to tell me, don't talk to soldiers, right? (laughs) But what can she say, right? She married one. But it's like, this concept, this idea of what it was like has now changed so much. But still, she's telling me these things. So Itaewon to me was kind of um, something that I always remember. Yeah. But on a more general scape. So, for example, the kind of food that we ate growing up in the States versus the kind of food scene that's here today. What are some differences this you've is noticed? A, this is a good one. Because let me tell you how I pretty much grew up in terms of food. So my mom, she was a great cook. Mm-hmm. Still is, of course. Um, and she sort of had her, um, I guess, repertoire of the Korean food that she cooked, right? Um, I remember specifically eating probably the most like bulgogi and rice. Mm. Just like beef bulgogi, mm-hmm. right? Not even... Um, like jayuk or anything Mm -hmm. like that. She would cook that occasionally. uh, And she would actually make, this is a big one, like japchae. She would make that as sort of one of the main (laughs) meals. Because japchae is sort of known, I guess, considered as uh, banchan or side dish. Mm. Um, At least in my mind, in in the perception of, I guess, people, Mm -hmm. Korean people. But um, yeah, my mom would make that as sort of like the main thing. And, you know, we'll eat it with maybe pop or something. And other like little side dishes. And so, you know, this is sort of the, this is my idea of like, oh, this is sort of one of the main dishes. Mm. You know, occasionally we'd have like samgyeopsa and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And she would make LA style kalbi. Um, and I thought this is sort of the main, you know, like Korean food. Yeah, everyone's eating this. Yeah. And then whenever we go to church, I mean, those were always served. Japchae yes. was always Japchae. there. <laughs> like the huge mountain of Japchae in the metal bowl. Yeah. So it wasn't <laughs> just like, it wasn't just my mom, right? It was, it was sort of like the community that my mom hung out around and that I was exposed to and hung out around. But when you come to Korea, I could count on probably one hand the mm. amount of times I've seen Japchae uh, just served as a, like a side dish. Yeah. You know, or even served on the menu. I don't remember really seeing it. What on about miyoku? <gasps> miyoku, yeah. Did you grow up eating miyoku? I did. I did Me a lot. Too. Us too. We ate miyoku all the time. Yeah. You know how many times I've had it here? Maybe like once. Really? In like eight years. Wow. Miyoku once. And the only other time that I remember eating miyoku outside of places in the States with my yeah. mom and her friends was in Uzbekistan mm. with like Kurios Haram. I went to a Korean restaurant in Uzbekistan. And they served miyokuk as like a dish. And I was like, oh yeah, I haven't had miyokuk in a while. And it reminded me of home. But here in Korea, we never eat miyokuk. I rarely see it. But you know what I think it is? I think it is still commonly um, 
consumed. I think, you know, obviously for the special occasions, like the birthdays mm-hmm. is, is sort of tradition to to eat that on your birthday. And I believe like New Year's Day, at least like New Year's Day in, in the States, mm-hmm. we used to have it mm-hmm. like January 1st. But we I think... Tukbuk. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Yeah, I got it confused. Yeah. So just birthdays mainly. Um, and so... Uh, here, I feel like it's probably it's probably so consumed within that the family mm, context. At the yeah, mm-hmm. at home, we're just obviously not around that, mm-hmm. so we're sort of on our own. But I think in modern everyday living, you don't really see that. Now, when I was working at the Korean company uh, about a year or so ago, there was a Miyokuk restaurant. Oh. Yeah, and it was a chain restaurant, but um, I don't think they have too many locations. Mm-hmm. And my coworker, uh, he always suggested that we go there, you know, here and there. Mm-hmm. And so that was the only time that I've had it here in Korea at that restaurant, which yeah. is actually really good. Um, but other than that, I mean, you don't even really see it on menus, right? No, you like don't. you go to like a bunchi restaurant like a fast food restaurant where you would probably expect to see something like that you don't even see that nope what about sujebi sujebi so we mm. grew up eating sujebi pretty regularly yeah i don't think i don't think we've had that much you guys didn't have sujebi yeah. well i kind of did a little bit of investigation on why sujebi because to me sujebi is a very plain food yeah you know and um it's kind of people who don't know sujebi it's it's a soup and it has kind of duck like pieces of I guess like cooked flour. What would you call those? Is it like the like gelatin? Kind, kind of? of, yeah, kind of like that. Um, I they're kind of like a softer, floury version cooked of thok mm-hmm. that you would yeah. have in the soup. Soup, and you just kind of tear off the pieces, so they're not round mm-hmm. or any shapely, anything like that. And then I would always put salt in it or pepper yeah. because it's so bland. And my mom would say, no, you don't do that. You eat it with kimchi. So sujebi and kimchi. So kimchi adds mm, the flavor. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. This was very, very uh, big. And when I came to Korea, we, we never eat sujebi. Never. And you right. don't even see it anywhere. Well, I remember asking my mom about this probably when I was in early 20s because I was like, mom, like, why do you always eat sujebi? And it turned out it was because it was one of the foods that they could afford growing up because sujebi doesn't have a lot of nutritional content. I mean, it's just like those cooked flour pieces with soup and sometimes noodles and maybe sometimes pieces of potato. But it's kind of like the poor person's meal. Right. So she ate a lot of sujebi growing up. But uh, that's why we ate sujebi a lot at home. I guess she just knew how to Mm. make it or was used to that. But here in Korea, no one. Right. I think this it's similar to like, not not sujebi, the dish, but the concept of like being able to afford it. I think yeah. kalguksu is something similar. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I think... Um, kalguksu is, it's always used in like special events or at weddings or, mm-hmm. you know, ceremonies or something. Yeah, but even that, kalguksu, you can find that more often than like sujebi or mm-hmm. like miyokuk, in mm-hmm. my opinion. There are places where it's, ser- it's served with other like soups, like bunchi places. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think uh, even with kalguksu, it was very cheap to make back in the day mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because flour wasn't very expensive and you just mix it in with water and whatever else you, <laughs> you know, you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, how about kimchi? Kimchi. Like kimjang. Yeah, making, yeah, yeah, yeah. Making kimchi too was, uh, it was a seasonal thing that we did. Here, there are still families, of course, who are doing kimjang. And because we are not living in a Korean family unit, probably that's why we're not as exposed to it. Mm-hmm. But I hear mostly about people making kimjang when they're outside of the city. 
So like, for mm-hmm. example, some of our friends we know who have family members living in Busan or Cholado, right? They go out to do Kimjang with their parents. But I don't know if people doing it here right. in the city. Yeah, unless they're doing it on the roof and putting it in those like that's true, uh, you know, yeah, the big jars. earthenware containers. Um, yeah, my mom used to actually she would do she would make the the fresh kimchi, and I mean, it, it I guess it was enough to last a couple of months, mm-hmm. you know, and just to feed our family. Mm-hmm. But I remember I specifically remember her doing that probably every year, once mm-hmm. or twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kimjang was. Quite a big thing. Mm-hmm. Like apparently, it's usually it's a communal that's thing. That's what I was gonna with, say. Yeah, with family or yeah. like I guess the neighborhood. Your friends would come over. Yeah. We, my mom would do that. All the friends would come over. But here, you know, I rarely see that or hear about that. Mm, yeah, that's another. Yeah, I mean, what 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 other foods? You know, like the L.A. style kalbi. Oh yeah. You, I mean, you see that here. Um, I guess that is another thing because we just went over our friend's house, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, like less than a week ago and yeah. yeah she was serving that up as well but you don't see that really in restaurants mm-hmm. here in the states you do in korean restaurants you always see isn't that galbi. funny you see japche yeah, yeah people in the states think like oh yeah this is korean barbecue but right. if you go here to really kogichip that's not what they're serving most of the time no yeah, yeah. let's uh head over to language then Some differences that you notice in language. Yeah. Because there's... So the Korean language, of course, has changed quite a bit. Your mom's a Solite originally. Mm -hmm. My mom is not. Mm -hmm. And so there are the things that you hear or the way that your parents may have spoken Korean to you when you're growing up might not be the Korean that you're hearing in Seoul today. Right. Seoul has a lot of Konglish, for example, that's not used in the States. Mm -hmm. Even if you are speaking English fluently in the States, it's not the same kind of... Konglish, right, right, that's being used. The Konglish in Korea has developed totally separately. And um, there are some words that are now outdated that your parents in the States may have still been using that people today are not using anymore. Or maybe they were Japanese terms that today have been phased out. There are new things that have developed in Korea that don't exist in America, so people don't know about those terms. And so I never thought about this until I My mom came to Korea with me some years back and we were shopping and the shopkeeper was like, are you Japanese? Because, you know, your Korean is very... <laughs> I bet that made your mom happy. My mom was very upset. But that, that's the thing that was like a marker of, oh, you have not followed mm-hmm. the development of the Korean language. Yeah. Speaking of the Japanese words, one word that I did not realize was phased out and no one uses it is... Bansu. Oh, yeah. That's my mom uses that word too. Does she still use it? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Good. Good call. I fro- totally forgot about yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, because that's obviously that was common usage in the house, and that's how that's how I've come to know like underwear. Yes. Right. But uh, yeah, they don't they don't call it that. No. I've not once heard that. Never. Word well, my high money still says it, but <laughs> right. here now it's penty. Yeah, penty. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. That's a funny yeah, so one. So that's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom. Uh, I'd imagine she probably still uses it. I don't see why she would have changed it. My mom it. does. Yeah. Yeah. I distinctly remember. Now that you mentioned, I distinctly hear her saying it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Terms like that, phrases that nobody uses anymore. And the more that I became fluent in Korean, the more I recognized my mom's style of speaking is not what I'm used to hearing in Seoul. Mm-hmm. And her humor is different. And partly it has <laughs> to do with her upbringing, you know, not having grown up in Seoul. But even so, it's just... 
the changing of times. Yeah. So it's it's funny to think that, you know, if you're speaking the same language, yet it could have developed so separately, so different, or you completely are not tracking with it so much to the point that people would listen to you and be like, hang on, are you fluent in this language? Because mm-hmm. it's changed that much. Yeah. Yeah, my mom was really thrown off when uh, she came to visit uh, the last time. Actually, the she only came back to Korea twice since she moved mm-hmm. uh, to the States, and that was in 1980. Mm-hmm. But uh, each time, she did struggle with the language and communicating with people um, when they would try to explain something to her, mm. and she wouldn't understand, mm. you know, everything that they were saying mm-hmm, or like using mainly like the words. Mm-hmm. Not so much. I don't think the grammar has changed that much. Mm-hmm. I think it's more... The just the vocabulary, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I remember her struggling with that, and just like, not she wasn't frustrated. She was just like, kind of like, man, this is so weird. Yeah, that was the feeling that she she had. Something that's been interesting through uh, the Happy Project and the people we've met, and um, especially I I love to meet people from older generations who moved away from Korea. Maybe when they were younger and then grew up, say, in Germany or in Uzbekistan. These are my two examples that come foremost to my mind. Because these two individuals that I'm speaking of still knew Korean. They do. They speak Korean and it's almost like everything should be fluent. But they now carry a Russian accent Mm -hmm. in the case of the gentleman I met in Uzbekistan. Or a German accent in the case of the, the woman I met who was spending many years in Germany. And even how they spoke, even their inflections was somehow very not Korean, but they still carried the language with them, yet it was like tinged with a a non-Korean something about it, which Mm -hmm. was really fascinating to see. And so you can see how, yeah, we carry language still, but it transforms over time. And if you're just not with the whole community and country that's creating and evolving the language you're going to be stuck in a time capsule of language. Right. And people can sense that. Some other things that have changed. Um, this is just my, my own opinion, but I think the level of respect that um, we carry. Let me explain this a bit more. So Korea uh, traditionally is a Confucius, based on Confucianism. There's some strict levels of hierarchy that exist, Um, You know who to respect. It is formed in your language, the way you treat them, the way you interact. We can see this still in um, many office cultures where they talk about like, oh, the Korean hierarchy culture. That was pretty pervasive throughout society. But I feel like this this, uh, level of respect doesn't, is somewhat mm, lessened. It's not as strict in Korea today as it may have been before. Yeah, you know, I, I think I I would have to agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could s- probably see it more in the older generation that they have maintained that. Yes. But with younger people, I think it's a balance of like a ingrained respect because it's just ingrained into the society, into the household, and into mm-hmm. schools and into the language. Uh, but I feel like it's a balance of that and also a little bit of just playing the P, I don't want to say PR game, no. uh, but kind of playing the game, knowing that this is how you have to function in society. So I have to, you know, inside to my boss, I have to greet my boss when I mm-hmm. come in, I have to, you know, wait until they're finished. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, and deep down inside in your head, you're like, oh, this is so stupid. I hate this. Yeah. Right. But 
but fast or rewind maybe a generation or two. And I think, yeah, you might still have those feelings, but I feel like it's more of a understood respect like okay we're gonna wait and work with the mm-hmm, boss until mm-hmm. he leaves or we're going to greet we we should greet him he's in a higher position yeah that is the feeling i get yeah um you know and and being someone who hasn't grown up here uh you know i can't really put my life on that but yeah i would have to agree with you I, it, it it does feel a little different somehow you know though the way we show respect or even like think about it we had interviewed someone who said in the states every uh, holiday they would do the ancestral rites mm-hmm. but here in korea so many young people don't do the ancestral rites oh uh, yeah during yeah. the holidays and speaking even the holidays are a perfect example holidays was such a big deal and mm. still my mom even though you know her american family didn't follow with chuseok or seollal you know we didn't follow the traditions of new year she would every single year she'd always make tteokbokk and we would always eat it mm. that day right because it was just that's what you did but here in korea it is it's not the same thing especially in the seoul area so many of the young people is like you don't eat tteokbokk on new years like we just say we do but i really don't know tons of people who are actually right. doing that right that's true so it seems to be almost like we go through the motions because that's what tradition dictates but the spirit behind it in some ways i feel like is fading or changing yeah maybe this is a little related or a little off but uh it's sort of like two generations ago it's almost a guarantee that you're going to take care of your parents when they get old yes versus now it's yeah. not you know a lot of people don't necessarily want to do that Mm -hmm. or plan to do that Mm -hmm. um and so i'm not i'm not coming from a like oh that's wrong or that's right perspective it's Mm -hmm. just the reality um and i think it's just i mean there's a whole lot of factors that come into play with why that's happening and Mm -hmm. i won't get into that but i do think that there is a difference because like for me i still feel and you know this uh, I still feel like I need to take care of my mom. Mm. Well, you're the first son. Yeah, and it's just like I that's a big motivation for why I do what I do and and why I want to make, you know, money so that I can mm-hmm. take care of her even though at this point my sister's got me beat for sure. <laughs> you know, my sister is doing such a phenomenal job taking care of my mom, but I still want to as a son make sure that, you know, she never has a step foot in a nursing home. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's you know, it's if if not me, then hopefully my sister will take care of her. So mm-hmm. I have that sort of mentality that I think was passed down to me because I saw my mom take care of my harmony. Yeah. Because uh, I grew up with my grandma in the house. Like I saw that happen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe it's a little different here yeah. these days. I would say so, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because people are still, you know, the young generation is struggling in their own way. And so it's just those sacrifices are made or I don't know exactly what the change is, but for sure I can feel that difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about some items that we noticed in the house growing up that today is not seen in the modern Korean home? Mm. The one that comes to mind are blankets because mm-hmm. uh, we grew up with our mink blankets. We had this big, huge, giant mink blanket that was a dark blue with this like very, you know, Asian tiger on the front of it <laughs> that's kind of posed, like creeping towards you. And we, I would just woo, lay it out over on the bed. Uh, we had those very heavy blankets like that. Then my mom used to complain, oh, it's so dusty. And we had to take it out and dust it out. It was really heavy, but we still used it every winter, <laughs> these mink blankets. And so to me, I associated, oh, yeah, it's just green blanket. Yeah. But here in Korea, I, I rarely ever see those blankets, almost never. People have a very different type of bedding that mm-hmm. they use, which is Korean in its own way, but it somehow lost that 
that I don't know what it is, a traditional Korea that I remember. Yeah. What about those little folding tables? Yeah. They're typically like black and they have like the little design. Like pearl and yeah. pearl inlaid. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I guess, like a just a shiny <laughs> looking design or something. <laughs> yeah. And you would always fold it up and maybe eat there mm-hmm. or have a snack there and then fold it, fold it away, at least in our house. Yeah. Um, we did I don't, that too. I don't think I've seen any of that anywhere, like Same. any of those tables. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are foldable tables still, but mm-hmm. I think they're just a little less uh, loud, I guess. Oh, like, like that big click when you. No, no, no. I mean, like, like, as far as how it, like, the presentation of it, they're ah. just like maybe wooden tables. Yeah. They don't yeah. have, like, the crazy little design. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it, but um, I, yeah, I think that was more of a thing in the 80s. You probably found that in the houses mm-hmm. here in Korea. Mm-hmm. And that's what our moms took over with them. That's right. We had that too mm-hmm. growing up in the house. Or the uh, the drawers. Mm-hmm. You know, like the old Korean drawers. Um, now today you might see it storing, let's say, herbs or teas. I've seen that a lot in some tea houses. But my mom has like the old, the Korean traditional drawer has like the lots of tiny, tiny little drawers. Mm-hmm. And I always remember, oh, this is a drawer for pens. This drawer with the, the batteries, you know, like you could go through them. Um, that was something that we, I remember always seeing, but I haven't seen them here in right. modern apartments. Right. And t- I just want to mention real quick too, uh, I, I just personally had more of an idea or more of a, um, I guess, I just thought that people slept on the floor a lot more here than, than they do. Yeah. Um, right? Yeah. Even though like my mom, I mean, my mom and even my harmony, they would sometimes sleep on the floor, yes. like, you know, or nap on the floor. Um, but I just had this idea that a lot of people, especially older people, they all just slept on the floor. And I yeah. think you still find that here. You can yeah. still find like uh, those maybe like Hanok, like overnight stays where you can sleep on the floor. And even some hotels or guest mm-hmm. houses still have that option where you can sleep on the floor. But mm-hmm. I think more people prefer to bed now. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. So I, I would say it still exists, but probably a lot less frequently than I had anticipated. Yeah. I remember when my high money here got a bed. <laughs> funny because she has her bedroom which just has like you like got all the the blankets on the floor and Mm -hmm. then you roll it up when you're not using it yeah and then i remember she bought like a small single bed and she just put it in the living room like (laughs) just i don't know why just to put it there and i guess it took the place of her sofa and she just put it out there it's like oh hi is this your your new bed and she's like yeah you know i just got a bed but i don't think she sleeps here that often Mm -hmm. she's probably still used to sleeping on the floor but my mom too i remember she she always kept a separate bedroom that she would have her floor sleeping mat Mm. for as long as i remember Mm -hmm. yeah that's, that's a really good point i always thought people slept on the floor as well yeah um let's see what what would be some other things that you have noticed and changes i'm gonna say fashion of course fashion yeah clothes because like prior to moving here so growing up uh well that's i guess that's going a little too far back but let's just say in the like 2000s 2010s i just had this idea that everybody was just fashionable mm-hmm. right in korea um when you're casual you're just fashionable <laughs> uh-huh. but I, I felt like a lot more people just sort of dressed semi-formal oh okay. just day to day yeah and just wearing like maybe suits with sneakers or something as a matter of fact when i first visited korea in 2012 i think it was a trend then but i, I remember seeing a lot of guys wearing suits 
with sneakers. Sneakers were a big thing. Yeah. That's I don't when s- they popped off and they still are. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't see it as much, but I just remember that being the case. But, you know, like not, you know, I think in general compared to the U.S., mm-hmm. Koreans here dress more uniformly. They dress a little bit more like they're put together mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, but I wouldn't call it like fashionable. Let's say as fashionable stylish. as I thought. Stylish. Stylish. Okay. Right? Because style has a sense of unique. You have your own unique style. Mm-hmm. I don't see that as much here. Yeah. Yeah. That's really true. You know, because in the in um, growing up in the states, when we would look at like Korean dramas, and that was my idea of oh, this is what girls my age are wearing, and they always mm-hmm. would be cutesy or like you know they have like very distinct like the K drama. Think about like the two thousands K drama style. Like it's a little bit very outdated now because it was just mm-hmm. too over the top. My sassy girl, her style was what I wanted to emulate. Not my sassy girl. Sorry. Oh, is it my sassy girl? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the movie we watched. Not the movie, the drama. There's oh, okay. a drama. I feel like it's called My Sassy Girl, but maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, there was this drama, and she was a style that I really wanted to emulate. I mean, think about like the little fur-lined vests and hats with the little poofy balls on the mm-hmm. edge of it. You know, things like that, which would come to Korea. People did not dress like that. Right. Even when I came when I was 16, I was thinking, oh, this is the style that I'm going to look for. Even kids my age weren't, weren't dressing like that. Mm-hmm. But just the concept you have is just so different than what's actually happening. Sure. From the exporting country, I guess. Yeah. And also, like, the flower boy hairstyle. I thought everybody wore that. <laughs> oh, but. yeah. Flower boy. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's the equivalent of the Korean version of the, the Bieber look. <laughs> hey, good point. Yeah, yeah. It's not like every boy in the U.S. had the Bieber look. Yeah. I mean, there was a handful, you know, but it, the the general... I guess the majority, no, mm-hmm. you know, and so same thing here. Mm-hmm. Felt like people's styles were a little bit more tamed, mm. less K-poppy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think how your perception of the country and the people and the culture and expectations and style, just all of those things, can be so so shaped by your parents and mm-hmm. recognize that wow, they actually are shaped by their time and their parents, which is not the same as today. So for us, coming to Korea was almost like not only catching up culturally and and understanding how society works, but also catching up on all of these preconceived notions that we had due to what we grew up in the States. Mm -hmm. And uh, I still see that today when I look in half Korean groups chats, for example, and I just recognize it's funny the things that people in the, in the groups are praising or like, this is so Korean. Yeah. I'm so proud of them to do that. And to me, it's almost kind of funny sometimes because it's like, that's so old style. (laughs) Like no one's talking about that today. Yeah. And, and that's totally understandable because you're, you're, speaking from what you know and what you've experienced and that's the same thing with me we just we just obviously live here in korea mm-hmm. uh and so it, it is funny but it's also like very interesting yeah how it's just so different than what you would imagine yeah very very interesting um yeah so those are just kind of our own musings of what we remember growing up in our concept of korea and how that has changed since we have come to korea i think um in a way, we're kind of like fish out of water and our, our moms would be the same. We feel like we should belong here. We feel like we should understand and should speak the language. And yet the water has moved on. The stream has mm-hmm. flown off while we are yet still, while we were still hanging out in the pond over here. 
Um, yeah, if you understand this feeling or if you're curious what it's like in Korea today and you have grown up in your own whatever Korean culture pod where you are and what that looks like, we'd love to hear from you. You can, of course, email us at any point at thehalfweproject at gmail.com. We love getting listener mail. Um, oh, yeah, this is one other quick thing. If you have the time, leave a little review <laughs> on our podcast. Please do. Yeah, leave us good reviews. Basta. Yeah, that's all we ask. So take a little time out of your day to send us a love. We really appreciate that. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add, Cooks, before we go? No, I mean, I think there's there's a lot that we could probably unpack. And um, mm -hmm. so I think we could leave it at that. Yeah. And who knows if it's popular enough, if the people want to hear some more, maybe we could do a part two later on. Well, because he said that, I guess that is the end of this episode. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in, you guys. And uh, we'll see you next week. We are The Happy Project. Oh,